Hello and welcome to the More Mando Show, the podcast that gives you more Mando. After the show, I am one of your hosts, Clayton, joined tonight by the Mandalore, that's M-A-N-D apostrophe A-L-O-R, the ancient leader of Mandalore, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a weird one. How's everybody doing? That's that. Was, I enjoyed that. Thank you. You're welcome. I well, I, I gave you that. the child last week, so I felt like I should do I, the extreme opposite this week. I just teed you up with the perfect name to give me right before we started. Yeah, you're right. Too. Gosh, I'm gonna, such a screw. yeah. So oh, pretend like that didn't happen. That I'm Clayton, joined as always by <laughs> Tim Jarin. But I'm yay. I don't get very many clever names, so let me have this one. Just this yes, one. You you can have it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Tonight we are discussing chapter twelve of The Mandalorian. That's season two, episode four, The Siege. Tonight's episode was directed by Carl Weathers, written as usual by John Favre. And Dank Farrick makes it. Dank Farrick keeps on coming so let's just jump into it tim let's just jump right into the episode yeah i mean so uh, this is the first episode i think the first episode that carl weathers has directed for the mandalorian and i gotta say it's top three episode for me i think this was action-packed we knew that we were going to get to a sprint at this um at this portion of the show there's a lot mm -hmm. of ground still to cover and it was expertly crafted so yeah, he did um, a great job directing. And as you recall, one of the one of the deals was, "Hey, I'll be a part of the show, but I really want to direct." And uh, we got to see it in this episode, his first uh, directed it was, episode. It was very good. It was very, very, very well, very well done, very well shot. Um, we got some classic moments of Carl Weathers being the cheesy. Uh, grief cargo that he is, um, mm -hmm. which I absolutely eat up. I don't know what it is about Carl Weathers' performance, but um, I freaking eat it up. Uh, but let's dive right into the episode because there's a lot of ground to cover. We try to keep these around 30 minutes for you guys, um, and we have a lot of things to spend time on. So the episode kicks off with the Razor Crest falling apart in space, which we were kind of joking offline. There were lots of memes, lots of TikToks uh, saying there's no chance that Din Djarin's going to meet up with Ahsoka this week yep. because his ship is falling apart. And that was exactly the case. It was uh, in worse shape than we even left it last time. And it was on fire last time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... Uh, it's literally being held together by, like, wires. I, 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 we got a great child moment once again. Where and also Din Djarin makes me feel like a terrible dad. So they're sitting there and he's trying to have the child rewire something in a spot yeah. that he can't reach. Yes. And he's being so patient, so incredibly patient. Take the red wire, put it where the blue wire was. And then you just see Yoda, like baby Yoda, the child, just looking at the wire and then look at him and then look at the wire and you can see yeah. the cogs like spinning. And naturally he doesn't do anything that Jaren's nope. telling him to. He's shoving it in the wrong spots. He ends up freaking electrocuting himself. Yep. Um, just man, th this show does a great job of sprinkling in. I have written down in my notes, baby Yoda doesn't know his colors. 
<laughs> I, I actually <laughs> wrote down, he knows his colors better than I expected. <laughs> well, you're right. He was looking at the blue one when he said blue and vice versa. But Way better than I expected. Uh, so, uh, it's clear the ship can't be fixed at this point. Uh, the child has been freaking electrocuted. Uh, so, Din Djarin decides, hey, it's time for us to make a pit stop. We have got to go and get this thing fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it gives us the opportunity for us to bring Carl Weathers character back into the fold. They head to the planet Navarro where he has his ship worked on. And as always seems to be the theme with this season, especially he lands to have his ship fixed and then it introduces a side mission. Mm-hmm. So uh, we see Navarro and it's very different than what Din Djarin expected. It seems to be thriving now that the Imperials are mostly gone. We even see a a school, which was a pretty cool moment for us. Yep. Um, and behind uh, the school, I don't know if you noticed, there's a statue of IG-88. I did not notice that. Yeah, as they're walking into the school, you can see like in the plaza or court, you know, area mm-hmm. that's behind it, there's a statue of him like standing all heroic. <laughs> so they... <laughs> the hero we didn't deserve. Yep, the hero we didn't IG-88. deserve. IG-88. Um, I thought it was kind of, it was funny. It was definitely for comedic effect, but I think it's also really important. So we have the child sitting in school and he looks over and there's a kid that's got cookies. And he Macrons. Yeah, Macrons. <laughs> He's got to get those cookies. He uses the force for the first time this season. First time. Which we, we talked about last year or last week. Uh, what's it, going on with him not using the force? Is he exhausted? But it's, it's there still. He's still yeah. using it. And it actually, he kind of made me put my foot in my mouth because last week I was trying to explain away why he hasn't used it. Oh, you know, he trusts Din to protect him. They're not (laughs) in a life-threatening situation and that's kind of how he's used it. Like he's, there's no other way. I've got to save everybody and like that's been the instinct. And now we see him use it to nab some cookies. Some freaking cookies from a kid that's not willing to share. He hasn't used his powers for anything else. This season, so <laughs> you have, but we have to admit, we have to admit that if he could just use the force all the time, it would become way too convenient of an excuse for them to get out of all kinds of predicaments. Yeah, so, it would. Yeah, you have to understand it, but I do think that's relevant that we see him use it for the first time again. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, so we'll see how that sets things up moving into the future. So the uh, the side mission that Dinjarin gets recruited to is to go and try to destroy the remnants of an imperial base. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the last piece that they need to make Navarro completely safe and yep. um, Grief Cor- Karga mentions he wants to make it like a trade hub and they can't do that with the imperial remnants still here. And we actually find out that that's where uh, Moff Gideon was chilling before he came into uh before it exploded onto the scene last season. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but of course we've got the uh, capitalistic um, cargo saying, "Hey, we can make this a trade capital of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Let's yep. get this knocked out <laughs> there." And you know, he also has good points. They've got children; they're trying to rebuild, and um, they've got what he called high-valued imperial weapons on the planet, so they can never truly be safe until they get um, rid of everything. Yep. So I'm going to stop right there. That puts us to close to halfway. The second half is 
action-packed and it's dense. So I want to spend most of our time on the second half. But first half, are there any takeaways that we didn't get to touch on, Clayton, I, that you think are really important? I don't think so. Um, a couple quick things just from my notes that we didn't touch on. Uh, in the beginning of the episode, we see him eating soup with the child and he lifts his helmet up enough mm-hmm. to drink. Um, so this shows that... Um, He's either getting more comfortable around the child. Um, I don't know what the tribe, I don't think anybody does, what the rules with the tribe are with clan members. Um, So, if we'll remember, they're a clan of two. So, they're considered family in the eyes of uh, his tribe, in the eyes of the tribe. Uh, So, he probably could technically take his helmet off um, around the child and not um, break any rules. Um, I wrote but, that down. I thought that was very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So he's starting, and we see the child kind of look really interested and in wanting to see his face. So we'll see how that progresses. I don't know if that was just kind of trying to show us how does he actually eat around people um, or if there's more significance there, like he's building trust with the child and he'll see him more as family as they go on and he, maybe he'll actually reveal his face to the child at some point. Um, yeah, it could also be that maybe... Um, him, his interactions with Bo-Katan is um, really starting to sink in with him. You know, mm-hmm. like, do yeah. I, is this rule really important? And other people aren't doing it, but they seem to be Mandalorians to me. I mean, I think he left uh, that pod saying, like, yeah, those are respectable people, right? Like, exactly. The, un- unlike what he thought early on. So maybe yeah. he's softening his stance. Who knows? Yeah. And that would be typical with this with the style of the Mandalorian show. Like we don't get a fully flushed out, like what's going on in his head. It's like subtle things. So we, that, that could be the, the show's way of telling us he's having this internal battle. Okay. Now the mm-hmm. seed has been planted that my tribe is the weird one. Maybe I, you know, but anyways. Yeah. Um, one other. So the opening scene happens in the old armorer's uh, forge room. And then uh, the Aqualics, I think that's how you pronounce their name, the aliens that are in there. Mm-hmm. It's the same alien that we see in Moss Eisley uh, in A New Hope. Um, he like pushes Luke and then uh, Obi-Wan slashes his arm off. Um, he's with that other guy who's like, we're wanted in seven systems. <laughs> Um, so every time we see those guys, they're, they're bad dudes. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I don't think we, did we mention that, uh, Cara Dune is the marshal of Navarro? Did we no, mention I think that? that's a, that's a really important part. She's now the marshal, um, of Navarro. And I got to say, every time I see her, that is one scary chick. I mean, she is built like a brick she is broad she is yep. powerful i mean dang, dang that is not a girl you want to run into yeah oh and one other quick thing there's a quick dialogue where grief Karga is saying that the new republic should stay out and not worry about the outer rim yep. uh, and says that the if the empire couldn't couldn't settle it then why is the new republic worried about it so just kind of further setting up the the overall world um you know the, the outer rim's always kind of been a wild west type situation and um they really just want to be left alone whether it's the yeah. empire or the new republic so you're gonna have to jog my memory and, and you might not know this because i don't know if they've really said it clearly what is the blue alien the 
fish-like guy's name? Uh, so he doesn't have a name in typical Mandalorian uh, fashion. He is called by his like species name, just the, mm -hmm. and it's Mithral. So the Mithral. they call him Mithral, but that's his, just like they call Mando Mando. Yeah. Um, so so. Um, anyway, it, it it does keep setting the scene of this Wild West mentality where season one, he's put in carbonite. We learned that it's because he was fudging numbers as an accountant this season. And instead of being put to death or tried, he's essentially forced into slave labor for 350 years. years. <laughs> um, so it just keeps furthering like uh, he is Carl Weathers character is all powerful. He makes the rules there. He's yeah. deciding like he, he uses that as a bargaining chip to get this guy to help. Saying, I was going to say hundred years off. Yeah, I was going to say he's got so many years of like work that Carl Weathers character is just like, I'll just take a hundred years off if you do this. Like, and it's nothing <laughs> because yeah, it's still 250 more years. Cause he's got to work like, three times longer than Carl Weathers' character's even his whole lifespan. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think uh, for those keeping tally, uh, he still owes 230 hours, or 230 220. years. 220. 220, did he yeah, take 30 he, years he off at the end? 100 years, and then he's like, I'll take 30 more years off if you <laughs> ride this elevator with us. <laughs> Fine, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so let's dive into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Yes, sir. So we we quickly find out as they get to this deserted, quote unquote, deserted military base. Yeah, that they, is not a deserted mind, military they, base at all. Exactly. They go in thinking this is just a skeleton crew, uh, but they get there and they find out that that's not the case. Yeah, they find out that there are tons of soldiers there, and as they get deeper and deeper in the base they learn that it's actually not a military base. It's more of a laboratory. Mm -hmm. And we have a huge reveal at this portion of the show. Mm -hmm. um, they learn what was happening to the child. They learn that there were experiments being done. We kind of knew this was happening from season one, um, but he was saying something about the M test, right? So it was clear that he was talking about Mitochlorian and trying to figure out is there a way for us to create Jedi's by using the child through cloning or through his DNA and injecting it into others or whatever the um, their thoughts were that was what the actual mission was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Doctor Pershing is that guy's name. We see him come back and he mentions that uh, the subject who is the child has the greatest they're not going to find anybody else with a greater M count. And of course that's referring to, as you said, the dreaded metachlorian. <laughs> uh, nobody but George Lucas likes metachlorians, <laughs> but it's canon. So here we are. Uh, real quick, because we want this to be friendly for people who understand canon and don't. Can you explain kind of what that is or the importance of that? Metachlorians? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it was introduced in the... Uh, Phantom Menace in the prequel trilogy that is the microorganism inside people that dictates their connection to the force. Uh, so if you have a high count of metachlorians in your body, you're going to be force sensitive. So it is the amount of metachlorians in someone is directly correlates to not only their ability to use the force, but their power in the force. So when they find Anakin and Phantom Menace, 
metachlorines are off the charts. We've never seen anybody with it. Like, he's so far off the charts, we can't even measure it. And that's when they, you know, he's the chosen one and all this stuff. So, um, yeah. Thanks for correcting me because I always say mitochlorian. Metachlorian. <laughs> Just actually Midi. a scientist. Midi, it's midi. actually a scientific term, so <laughs> like fitty, but midi. <laughs> midi. Um, great. So we we finally know that that was the intent, and this is another huge moment because Din Djarin learns that Moff Gideon is actually not dead, like mm-hmm. he thought. Yeah, Moff Gideon is there. The message was three days before they had gotten there, so they know at that moment. Din Djarin knows. Moff Gideon's out there and he is still after the child because of these experiments. And you look around the room and you can see failed experiments, which I thought that was a really cool scene to see these bodies floating in these tanks. And you don't know, are they dead or are they, you know, in some sort of hibernation? But you could see the active experiments all around you in that moment. Yeah. And these things um, could actually be a Snoke reference or at least they are similar to what Snoke was. Um, They're most likely strand casts, which is what Snoke was, uh, which is just a bioengineered organism. Uh, They're much more difficult to work with than clones. Um, But it seems like that's kind of the goal. They're trying to create an organism that they can make force sensitive. So, and we also get mentioned before we move on and I forget in his message, he mentions the volunteer. Uh, and this is significant to me because every name in this show is the something. So we got the Mandalorian, the child, the Mithral. Like there's, this, there, this is significant. Whoever this volunteer is, I believe is going to be significant. And they talk about how uh, the blood transfers have been failed. And uh, Dr. Pershing says, uh, if we were able to give the volunteer a blood transfusion, he believes it would still fail. So mark that in your memories. We're going to probably see something with this volunteer. An episode called The Volunteer, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. So as you guys imagine, this is a absolute panic moment for Din Djarin. He was already uneasy with the idea of leaving the child behind. Um, they left the child at school. If you remember earlier in the episode, um, at this moment, they separate. Din Djarin has his jetpack. He flies off to go directly to the child, knowing that Moff Gideon is still out there, still hunting the child. Mm-hmm. And we see the rest of the crew um, get trapped as they try to head back to um, the, the racer that they came in originally. This is the coolest episode. Uh, moment in the episode in my eyes because we have chaos breakout we see troopers on speeder bikes chasing after them we see tie fighters flying in it's absolute chaos and i think it's maybe one of the best moments of the show at least one of the best moments that i can think of over the past two seasons so far it was just a sprint and everything a star wars fan wants in a show We definitely see a ton of stuff. So there's definitely been a lot of action-packed sequences. But in this, we see four TIE Fighters. We see like six speeder bikes, two of which blow up as they're riding down the hill. So let's take a moment to appreciate how terrible they are at riding their (laughs) own machines, I guess. Like they come out of a door that's at the top of this hill. And they They obviously 
have done this before. Like this door is there with speeder bikes pointing outward. This is the way down, and two of them blow up on the <laughs> on their way down. Poor, poor one out for our dead homies. There. Right? Yeah. Like, Could you on. imagine? Like, just take a second to put yourself in those troopers' shoes, where you're like, "My moment to shine, baby." They get on. You see them do like the the sleeve pop, you know, where they mm-hmm. flick their arms out and they're revving up the engine and yep. then bam, right into a freaking rock right out yep. of the gate. And Dead. then he takes out one of his buddies with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Oh my goodness. But yeah, Terrible. it's, uh, as far as scope, besides the season finale and maybe the, um, the episode with the ATAT at the farm, mm-hmm. uh, in season one, uh, this is probably the biggest battle just because of the sheer amount of troops and then the speeder bikes and then the four TIE fighters, which we've only seen the one up until now that Moff Gideon flew. So It was dense with everything a Star Wars fan wants. And it was, I mean, we keep saying this, we keep gushing over how amazing the Mandalorian is, but it's movie quality every week. Yeah, There was no moment in that episode where I was like, uh, you can tell this was made for TV because the CGI is not great or this right here looks clunky. Like, no, it is perfection on the screen. Yep, for sure. I'd Absolutely. even go a step further and say it's better quality than some of the stuff we've seen in the movies. Definitely. So. I mean, it's definitely definitely better than everything before the new trilogy. Yeah. Um, granted, technology's come a long way, but I just I don't see this ever aging poorly it exactly yeah. so amazing i just yeah. can't imagine it getting significantly better uh so we we uh we get typical dinjar in fashion we see the razor crest come to save the day once again child in hand the moment when it looked like there was no way for them to escape the tie fighters razor crest comes saves the day um which was a really really cool moment yeah it was fixed very quickly very quickly. Once he showed up, I mean, just shows like one knock for the episode. That would be it. Cause it, it was falling apart at the beginning. Yeah. They fixed the, they fixed the, the ship quickly, but it was also cool to see. This is how much of a badass Dinjarin is with his razor crest when it's fully functioning. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we, we see him look kind of like a badass, but his ship's falling apart. This is the first time I can remember at least in several episodes where he's able to maneuver that thing like an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. Okay. So we got to spend a few minutes before we wrap up today talking about the very important cutaway scene, if you will. Cutaway scene is Moff Gideon. We find out that he's still on the hunt for the child. We find out that the crew that repaired uh, Din Djarin's ship has placed a tracker on the ship mm-hmm. when they were repairing it. And we see Moff Gideon sitting there in what looks like a laboratory, looking at things all around him with this little grin on his face saying, we'll be ready. So yeah. I, I want to pause there. I want to spend some time talking about the ending and what it could mean for the rest of the season. Clayton, what, what do you think or what do you know that he was looking at in those ending moments? So these look like dark troopers. And dark troopers, I think, made their first debut in a video game called uh, Star Wars Dark Forces, uh, in which they were... Um, half men, half machine uh, troopers. And then they were also in a comic book called The Dark Empire, and they were uh, force-sensitive uh, troopers. 
Um, so, and then this stuff has been, it's not canon anymore, but the dark trooper is in, um, the mobile game, the star Wars. I don't even remember what it's called like star Wars campaigns or star, whatever, like the big mobile game is, these are in there and that game is considered canon. If you, Mm. so you can call it video game canon. Yeah. This, this is why you guys need the more Mando show because there's canon all over the place that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so these things are dark troopers and we're going to see, are these going to be force sensitive uh, dark troopers? Are they going to be, they definitely seem to be droid esque. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see them be half man, half droid, maybe even force sensitive because of the experiments that's going on. Um, but Moff Gideon is very excited about these boys. So, yeah, yeah, and like you said, I mean, maybe we have some of the experiment paying off. They're going to be force sensitive, um, and they are ready to fight. Um, it is setting up for what could be a crazy last few episodes. Because if you guys remember the end of season one, it was two or three episodes of absolute chaos and awesomeness. It wasn't like some shows where it's the finale is where it gets crazy. And then you're just left hanging. Like they do a very good job of spending time polishing the last few episodes so that you feel uh, like you're getting your money's worth with the show. Yep. Definitely. One more thing I've got to throw out there, Clayton, Um, It was easy for me to forget this, but the goal is still to get the child to Ahsoka at this point. Yes. Uh, So it's very, very easy to throw away Ahsoka when you think about how awesome this episode was. And we got um, old friends back in the mix. We have Moff Gideon back in the mix. Ahsoka is going to be a significant part of this show. So it's important for everybody to remember, like, that is where they're heading, and Ahsoka is a game changer when it comes to this fight, potentially. Yeah, I'm, I really want to see Ahsoka in live action. I think what's more intriguing to me at this point is how she is going to affect the Mandalorian as a show, because we're going to be introduced to a powerful Force user, lightsaber combat, potentially. So how involved is she going to be and how is this new introduction going to impact the overall show? So are we, if Ahsoka becomes a staple, for instance, or a recurring asset, uh, is the feeling of the show going to change? Um, cause I would say we're, we kind of get that a little bit with episodes like this. We see more of the empire, uh, inside this base definitely feels like more like a new hope than the Mm -hmm. Mandalorian because of the setting. Everything looks, uh, perfect. I mean, it's exactly like even down to like going around the little thing to take down the shields for the lava pit. Like it all screams empire and a new hope. Um, and you lose a little bit of that Western Mandalorian feel when we start getting into general Star Wars things, which is still awesome. Don't get me wrong. Um, so I'm anxious to see where the uh, injection of Ahsoka takes the show, if she's going to become a permanent or semi-permanent or recurring aspect. So, Absolutely. So Ahsoka still in the fold, still coming. Boba Fett. Still in the fold. We don't know if he's going to be a, a player in this season yet or not. 
Maybe he's setting up a spinoff show. We really don't know what's going to happen there. But Boba Fett still alive and in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marshal still alive and in the world. So we're going to probably see a lot of these characters in the mix as we sprint towards the last few episodes here. Definitely. Um, real quick, one thing we didn't talk about was that Captain Tiva, the X-wing guy, yes. who keeps coming back. We see him at the towards the end of the episode talking about the base being blown up. He brings up the Razor Crest. He's obviously becoming more uh, interested in the Razor Crest because he keeps seeing the Razor Crest involved in these situations. And then he talks to Kara um, a little bit, and she opens up a little bit about how she's lost everyone because uh, she's from Alderaan, and as we know, Alderaan was blown up. He insinuates that he knows that something is going on out here um with you know the empire and something's brewing but the core worlds don't really believe that anything's going on um so it just kind of helps set up the bigger world that this does mean something it's not just a standalone show like this does mean something to the greater star wars world and then he leaves a little like badge for her um so we'll see what that means if anything later um, and a PSA for everybody. Uh, her talking about Alderaan in this episode has the internet talking again about Alderaan being blown up. And too many people say Vader blew up Alderaan. Vader didn't blow up Alderaan. Tarkin blew up Alderaan. Tarkin was in charge. He directed the Death Star to blow up Alderaan. Vader had nothing to do with it. So get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Do you have any closing thoughts here before we wrap up this episode? A lot happened setting us up for what's going to be an awesome end of the season. I do not. I'm the only thing besides Ahsoka and what we've already talked about is the uh, experiments in the tubes. And I'm, I'm anxious to see if that really is connected to Snoke, even the music, it go back and listen to the music during that and just like go back with the intent to listen to the background music. It is eerily similar if not the same to the music that we hear during Snoke in the movies so it's very ominous Um, that to me along with the tubes looking very much like what we see those throwaway Snoke in Rise of Skywalker means that maybe this is going to have a trajectory to Snoke in the canon but we'll see awesome All right. well that does it for this week's The Mando Show. As always, I'm Clayton, joined by Tim. And tune in next week when we go over Chapter 13 of The Mandalorian. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Later. This I is the way in all that. No, no. <laughs>